All right, it's a little cold and rainy outside, but you showed up because you love Jesus, right? And so I'm glad you're here. Uh, Psalm 1, if you have your Bible, you head over to Psalm 1. Uh, that's what we, where we will be. If you don't have a Bible, grab your phone or tablet, head over to the YouVersion Bible app. You'll get all of our notes and our scriptures for today, plus they'll be on the screen and you can follow along that way. But let me just kind of jump right in. Have you guys uh, ever been, has anybody in here ever been to a martial arts class or a dojo? Yeah, sure. Um, anybody know that we have a staff member that we call the dojo legend, okay? Uh, but I'm not going to talk about that. So you can just kind of wonder about that if you don't know already about that. But um, I've been to a couple, uh, but my last semester in college, uh, undergraduate, I was uh, needing to have some electives, right? I was needing to get these electives out of the way. I hadn't done it my whole college career. career. And so like the last semester, semester and a half, it was all just a bunch of electives, a bunch of random classes that I had to have before I graduated. And so one of those classes I took was a self-defense class because I'm just going down the list like check, 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 check. It just mattered when the class was, not what the class was, right? Did anybody else do this in college? So I, I was getting money well spent. So I, um, so I, I got these electives and so one was a self-defense class and I did this self-defense class for a whole semester with like 50 other, with 50 girls basically. And, uh, I didn't realize that's the kind of self-defense it was. I just thought, like, self-defense, check. So it was like me, maybe two or three other guys, maybe five guys, and like literally 50 women, uh, young college women um, in there learning self-defense. And so but the guy teaching uh, it was, was actually pretty legit. Like when you think about self-defense in college, I was thinking like just they would kind of teach, you know, how to not get grabbed, you know, and thrown to the ground like you could kick them and then run, you know. So that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. But this guy was really legit. So he, I'm not kidding you, he actually studied under a guy who studied under Bruce Lee. You guys don't believe me? It's totally true. I'm telling the truth. So this guy, like, studied this whole Bruce Lee vein of martial arts, and he was legit. Like, I don't know how he ended up the self-defense class teacher at my undergraduate college. Like, he must have been low on money or something, but he, he was in there, and this guy knew his stuff, and he was, he was telling us about this type of fighting called Tai Chi, and he, it was all about weight distribution and, and like, using your mass and your momentum to, to uh, get more power in your punch or your kick or your push or a throw or whatever, uh, do that with more power. But, but this guy's fighting style, um, he, he, was, he liked to get in close. And so he wasn't like standing back like kickboxer style trading blows with an opponent. He would, he would get in close, break some ribs, get this guy to the mat and make him submit. Okay, that was his goal in fighting. Now, I don't know, I don't know where you're at on the pride game, but I'd rather be knocked out then tap out, right? Anybody with me on that? I'd rather be just straight up knocked unconscious than have somebody make me go like, okay, stop, right? I mean, I would rather, like, because then if you get knocked unconscious, like, people respect that, right? Like, afterwards, there's this conversation, dude, you got knocked out. Oh, my gosh. You lost consciousness. You got hit so hard in the face, you lost consciousness. Have you seen your face? You got, that's amazing. Like, you can't help it. The dude knocked you out, right? Like, there's that, you can't help it. Like, there's some street cred for getting knocked out. Like, probably like a bunch of knockouts. You start to lose that street cred, but you know what I mean. It's way better than baby tapped out. <laughs> You're such a baby. You gave up. You tapped out. I don't care if he's going to snap your arm. You're a baby. You should have hit him with the other arm, Right? I'd rather be knocked out. It would be knocked out than have to tap out. But I was in this guy's class for like 15 weeks, and it was a big class, lots of people in there, and they're all kinds, older, younger, bigger, smart, smaller, um, a couple of women that couldn't have been over 100 pounds um, in there taking this class, a couple of the guys that, uh, the few guys that were in there were, were easily pushing 250 um, and, and poundage, and so big, uh, but the guy was teaching us this way to defend ourselves that really, it kind of took size out of the equation, it kind of took it out, and, and so I mean, by the end, we, we would kind of spar, because this guy wasn't really, 
self-defense teacher as much as he was like dojo legends, right? And so he was in there teaching. So we would spar a little bit and um, it, it never failed. There, were, there would always be this like 95-pound woman having this 240-pound guy crying. <laughs> and it was awesome, okay? It was awesome because uh, every guy in here, when you meet another guy, you see another guy, you always like... You always measure him up. Like, I think I could take him, right? Like, you just, you look at him like, I could take him. I could take him. I mean, he might get a few punches in, but I could take him, right? So it was really fun to see these big guys get whooped by these little girls. Now, in these classes, while you're watching these things happen, there is no mistaking, no mistaking who the master is. So all these guys are kind of fumbling around with it, trying to figure out how to do it. And the master is the one who's walking from person to person to person, walking them step by step, hold by hold through how to do this. He's the one saying, no, not like that. You need to do it like this. You need to be tighter on the wrist and looser on the elbow. You need to get your stance right. He's walking around teaching and correcting throughout the the class. There's no mistaking who the master is in these classes. And then at the end, uh, this master, he finally walks out kind of in front of the class, and he basically says, all right, we got, we got like two and a half minutes left of class. Who wants a piece? Who wants a shot at the title, baby? Let's do this, right? And it, you know, like nobody, nobody has learned their lesson because there's always that guy who's like, I can take him, right? And he stands up, and everybody's like, you can. He turns around like, you can't. He's going to get killed. This is going to be great. So we're all like, you could totally take him, man. You can't take him. And so he goes out and he spars with this guy. And you know the master's just kind of toying with this guy at the beginning, right? It's like a cat playing with yarn. Like he's just kind of moving around, slapping punches away. Like no big deal. Relax. The guy charges him. He trips him, falls on the ground. He's like, oh, nice. And then you can tell he's messing with the, the guy because he's kind of talking to the class while he's doing that. You know, he's like, he's like did you guys see that uh, latest episode of This Is Us? That was amazing. You know, he's just talking to the class. And then there's one point while he's sparring this guy that he, he starts to sweat, right? He doesn't want to sweat, doesn't want to look like he's putting too much in. And so it's like all of a sudden this switch happens. The guy comes at him, and the master's just like, wham, and holds him in some hold. And the guy's like crying, oh, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And the class is like, yeah, let's do it again. But nobody, nobody volunteers that day again, right? So this, this guy, this guy is a master of martial arts, and if there's... Anything you want to know about it, self-defense, about holds or punching or kicking, all that stuff, he's going to be the guy who can walk you through it step by step by step. He'll walk you through it hold by hold by hold, exactly what you have to do to be successful. And so Jesus is the master of something, isn't he? Don't get all churchy on me like, he's the master of everything, right? It's a good bumper sticker. I get, I get that. He's the master of everything. But if Jesus is the master of something specific, Jesus, Jesus is the master of life. Is he not? He's the master of how to do life. And just like that guy in the dojo, Jesus walks alongside of us going, no, 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 no. Not like this, like this. You're going to have to do it this way if you're going to succeed. Don't do that. Watch this. Pay attention to this. And Jesus is the master of living. He's the master of how to do life, the master of living within the rhythm God has created your life to work in best. So we, we started last week a series called Rhythm, and I, I'm really excited about it. Um, you, you might not be able to keep rhythm. You might not be able uh, to have rhythm. You might, you might not have rhythm. But all of you can sense rhythm, right? All of you can sense it. You know when something's off, like at a middle school school band concert. Or like when your heartbeat is beating out of rhythm, arrhythmia. It's painful, right? Either of those. Very painful. Equally painful. 
Like John 10.10, Jesus is talking to a crowd and he's talking about being a good shepherd and how he's the good shepherd. And he says this statement that's that's pretty interesting. He says in John 10.10, I've come so that you may... Whoop, let's start over. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that you may have life and life abundantly, right? Life to the full. And so Jesus is in front of this crowd, and he says, I came to give you the fullest possible life. I've come so that you could have life and life to the full. It's this amazing promise of Jesus. But, but if we're honest this morning, most of us have yet to find that life, that abundant life. Most of us have yet to experience what Jesus is talking about, have yet to realize this promise in our lives. And so if you and I, if we were in that crowd that day when Jesus said, I came so that you would have life and life to the full, life abundantly, we'd be raising our hands going, but how, Jesus? How? Because I've been doing this thing for a while, and I have yet to see that life, experience that life. I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm just not feeling it. I'm struggling and I'm worn out and I'm stressed out and my kids don't listen to me and my marriage isn't what I signed up for and I'm just depressed and I'm not feeling this whole life abundantly thing. So how? That's great, Jesus, but how? The good news is that Jesus doesn't just make this promise and walk away. He's the master of how to do life, and he shows you and me step by step by step how to get that abundant life, how to live in God's rhythm, the way life works best. So God has created the world and your life to work in a certain rhythm, and we talked about last week how because of fall, the fall, not not autumn, that would be different, but the fall in Genesis 3 like a saxophone playing on the wrong beat in an orchestra, you and I are naturally out of rhythm. Out of rhythm with the way God, the one who wrote this song, has designed our lives to work best. He has not been silent about this. That's the good news. God has not been silent about this rhythm, this pattern, this way he designed life to work. He has not been silent about that. We were created, you and I were created to bear the image of God. That's what we talked about last week. And what that means is that we were created to, like a mirror, reflect the image of God off of ourselves and out into the universe, into the world. And yet because of the fall, because of sin and rebellion, you and I moved from image bearers to cracked image bearers, tarnished image bearers. No longer able to reflect the glory of God, the image of God into the universe properly. We were born naturally, that naturally we are unable to do that. And so God in his infinite grace and in his mercy and in his love looks at you and me all of humanity as cracked image bearers. And he says, if you're going to fulfill the promise, the the purpose that I've put in your life, if you're going to do what you were created to do, you're going to need this. And he gives us the law. He gives us the word to line ourselves back up with the way we were originally created to function. You're going to need help. God is that master in the dojo saying, this is how you do it. He's saying, it's confusing. You're off. You're out of rhythm. Culture is sinful and has its own arrhythmia. The day itself is evil and has its own arrhythmia. Marriage, family, money, time, it's all marred by sin and out of rhythm. You're going to need my word to get you back into the rhythm I created you to work best in. It won't be easy. It won't be convenient. It may hurt a little bit, but it's absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. And so in this series, we're talking about some rhythms that God has given us in his word. These are areas of your life that God is very clear about, that there's a rhythm, there's a way to do it that gets you to life instead of getting you death. 
there's a way to do this, and it's rhythms like Sabbath and gratitude, and we're going to talk about a marriage rhythm and a family rhythm, and we're going to talk about one week about how God has created us to be fully here in this moment, fully present right now, and all of us stink at that because we're looking at our phones every five seconds, and we're thinking about tomorrow, and we're thinking about next week, and we're thinking about all the things we got to do, and none of us are here. We're always there or there, and it causes us problems. We're going to talk about this rhythm to being fully present. And all of these things, these messages, these rhythms, are absolutely worth our time. Absolutely worth our time. But last week, we ended where I'd like to start us off each week in this series with this undeniable fact. And we have to remember this. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't get yourself back into rhythm. We're not making a list of things in this series that gets you into heaven. We're not making a list of things like, hey, if you take care of this and this and and these six things, then you'll be right before God. That's That's not what we're saying. That is not what we're saying. The true and right and biblical motto of Christianity we said last week is not, I can. It's what? I can't. Jesus can't. Jesus can. Religion says, do, 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 while the cross screams out, done. It's done. And so, I want you to start with this by surrendering your life over to Christ. You have to start there. If you don't surrender the core of who you are to Jesus, then none of this rhythm series really matters. It's not like you make that decision to give your life over to Jesus and then you never get out of rhythm again, right? That's not the way it works. It's not like you never struggle to line yourself up with God's rhythm once you say a prayer or walk an aisle. It's not the way it works. So let me just do kind of a, let me go on kind of a, a, a planned tangent here, okay? Um, I've heard it explained this way. Really, there are three words um, that, that the Bible uses to talk about salvation. When the, when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about it in these three words, three seminary words, and it's really past, present, and future. One is past, one's present, one's future, and here are the seminary words. Past is that moment where when we're talking about salvation, it's that moment where we have the effectual call of the Holy Spirit, our hearts are enlightened to the truth of the gospel, and we give our lives over to Christ in a moment, and in that moment, we are saved. We are changed, transformed by no work of our own, and the seminary word within that is justification. Everybody say justification. And so justification is, I gave my life over to Jesus back then, and that happened in the past, and now I'm different. And it wasn't anything I did, it was what Jesus did. Jesus moved on my heart, and now I'm changed, right? It's justification. But the present tense, we move from justification in the past tense to the present tense of salvation in the Bible, which is sanctification. Everybody say sanctification, sanctification is God's work in us to make us more like Jesus. It's this idea that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. We are in that right now, and it's a process, okay? So we've got justification that happened when we were enlightened to the truth of the gospel and gave our lives over to Jesus, and now we've got this process of sanctification where we are becoming more like Jesus. And just a thought, really quick, um, where there is justification... There is always sanctification. Where justification happens, sanctification will always, 100% of the time, follow. And if there is no sanctification, I would be horrified that there might not be justification. Something to think about. Past is justification, present is sanctification. And then the seminary word for the future is glorification. Everybody say glorification. So we start with justification. We get to sanctification, which is right now in the present. And in the future, it's glorification. And that just means when Jesus returns or you go to heaven, that's when everything, the, the culmination of everything, and you become like Jesus fully. And it's, that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet. That's in the future. And so 
As we go through this series and talk about all these areas where we're trying to line ourselves up with the rhythm God has created the universe to work best in, what we're talking about here in this, in this idea of salvation being three tenses, we're talking about the present tense. When we talk about the rhythm of God and lining ourselves up with that, we're talking about sanctification. That, that's That's what we're talking about, becoming more like Jesus. We're talking about one step at a time, one day at a time. The Bible says from glory to glory. There's a a process. Justification happens. Sanctification is a process moving towards Jesus. And then Jesus shows up and, and glorification happens, right? Are you tracking with me so far? So what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about today is is devotional rhythm. Devotional rhythm. Everybody say devotional rhythm. And I really think that, say it with less attitude next time. Um, I really think that (laughs) devotional rhythm is uh, is kind of the foundation for some of the other rhythms that we're going to go through. I really think they find their foundation in this devotional rhythm. And yet, it may be our, our, our biggest deficiency as a church, at large, the church, I mean, we, we mentioned this in our small fry series over the summer, and there are tons of surveys and polls that you can look up online. But there was this one done by Lifeway a few years ago that found that 90% of churchgoers, not, this isn't a survey done with Americans, it's, it's churchgoers, people who go to church. 90% of churchgoers say they want to please and honor Jesus in all that they do. 90%. And so they want to live life in the rhythm God created it to work best in with Jesus. They want to please Jesus. But that same survey found that only 19% of churchgoers read their Bible daily. 90% say, I want to, I want to please Jesus. I want to walk in the rhythm he's created me to work in, walk in. But only 19% actually read their Bible daily. And there were some more statistics. And if I were to apply the rest of their research to us here, it would go like this. One out of five of you read the Bible daily. One out of five reads the Bible daily. That would mean about 400 of you in these seats today don't read the Bible daily. About 400. A fourth of you read it a few times a week. So we've got 100 of you reading it daily, and we've got a fourth of you reading it a few times a week. So that would mean that, that over 250 of us in the seats today in both services, we read it less than that. We read it less than a few times a week. And the research showed that about another fifth of you read it once a month or so. So 100 of you pick up the Bible monthly and read it. This is outside of the services, so we're going to read some scriptures in a minute. Doesn't count, all right? We're talking about in your own life, reading it uh, in your own life. And so 100 of you pick it up monthly, and then about the same percentage basically never read the Bible. It's about 100 people that come to church here on a regular basis that never, never read the Bible, never pick it up, never, never read it. Let me just sum it up this way. Less than half of us get into the inspired word of God weekly. Less than half of us pick up the Bible, God's word that he's given us to, to help us, to get us to life, not to take life away from us, but to get us to life. The key to lining ourselves up with the rhythm he created our lives to work in. The answer to the question, how, Jesus, how do I get that John 10, 10 abundant life? The answer, God's inspired word to you and to me, half of us pick it up once a week, not including church services, and read it. And less than one-fifth daily. Think about that. And we wonder, we wonder why we're not getting it, right? We wonder why we're not getting it. We, we, we wonder why we're out of rhythm. We wonder why things are so off in our lives. It'd be like never showing up to the dojo, and letting the master teach you how to do martial arts, and, let, and yet asking the question, why do I keep getting whooped in the ring by 100-pound girls? Like, why do, why do people keep destroying me in the ring? And the master's going, you hadn't showed up. I don't even know you. Why would you think you were, right? It's, it'd be just like that. It'd be, it'd be just like that. So, so look at... Look at Psalm 1 with me today. Let's study that today. That's our devotional rhythm scripture. Last week we talked about Genesis 1 today, Psalm 1, something for you to... 
put on your mirror, on your wall, try to memorize if you can, Psalm 1. It's on page 448 in my Bible, if that helps any. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day at night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So in Psalm 1, there's this comparison being made, right? Between the sinner and the righteous. And the big difference as far as what each one does to be labeled sinner or righteous is where they get their counsel from. So the wicked, the, the sinner, gets his counsel from the wicked, right? But the righteous gets his counsel from the law of the Lord, from the word of God, from God. That's how they end up in their respective camps in Psalm 1. And the outcome is much different too, right? It's different. The sinner who gets his counsel from the wicked, it says he ends up perishing, right? He, his way will perish, but not so with the righteous. It says that in all the righteous does, he, speaking of the man who gets his counsel from God, in all that he does, his way, what, prospers, right? He, he prospers, and it starts out, this psalm does, with blessed is the man. Anytime the Bible says, blessed are you if, or blessed are you who, or blessed is the man, that's something you want to like, hold up, let's underline this, right? Blessed is the man. So, so let me just ask you this. Who here today wants to be blessed by God? Anybody? Okay, some of you just missed it. You just missed it. You just totally missed it. It's like those Facebook uh, posts that you have to say amen to or you're going to hell. You just missed it. You just totally missed it. God's mad at you. Hopefully you can hear the sarcasm in my voice. It's a spiritual gift. It's one of my spiritual gifts. Yeah, everybody wants to be blessed by God, right? You want to be blessed by God. Even lost people want to be blessed by God. They just don't know how to verbalize it. They just don't know how to say it, but they, they definitely want, everybody wants the blessing from God, and, and maybe you're thinking like, I feel kind of guilty that I want God to bless me, but you totally shouldn't. You shouldn't feel guilty asking for God's blessing. You should run after it. You should desire it. You should thirst and hunger for the blessing of God. There's no problem with that whatsoever. Our problem, though, a lot of time, is that we don't really understand what's meant by blessing. Most of us, when we think of blessing, we think of material blessing. We think of physical blessing. We think of money. We think of houses or cars or whatever else. We, we think of riches, being well off, no debts, easy life. And you know this because like, if you ever have asked, hey, if you, had, if you had one wish from a genie or three wishes from a genie, it doesn't matter. You can, you can wish whatever you want. Like everybody always wants cash, right? Like don't, come on. I know you're church people, but come on. Let's just be honest. Like all of us are like, ah, peace for the world. Cash, I want cash. <laughs> we just want, we, we think about blessing, we think about, man, it'd be a lot better if I didn't have to worry about money. We think about material blessing. Some of us think of blessing as having people around us who really love us and who we love and there's family and there's friendship and it's a good family. But blessing is not is not all about outward action or outward circumstance, is it? It's not about outward conditions. In fact, blessing is about, is about knowing God so that we can live by his rhythm and experience his peace in any condition, whether outwardly good or bad. Let me say that again. Blessing is about knowing God so that we can live by his rhythm and experience his peace in any condition, whether outwardly good or bad. Are you tracking with me? So trials can be a blessing. 
In the Old Testament, book of Job, there's this long book about trial, about a trial, big trial that Job went through. If you're ever depressed and you want to read an uplifting book of the Bible, don't read Job, okay? Don't read, actually you could, and maybe you look at your lot in life and think, man, I got it pretty good, right? Job had everything taken away from him, family, riches, everything, and the devil took his health away in the end, or God allowed his health to be taken away in the end. In the end, he is on the street begging, full of sores, has no family, no money, he's, he's just totally destitute, and yet at the end of Job in, in 42, chapter 42, God blesses him with more than he had before, and it's not just material blessings. It's knowing God. It's understanding his place in the universe. When the priests of the Old Testament would bless someone, they, they wouldn't speak of worldly riches. Like, the priests of the Old Testament wouldn't be like, may the Lord give you all that you desire. May the Lord give you riches and crops and, and a big house. That's not what they would say. The priestly blessing goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you what? Peace. Earthly riches are great. Having people around you that care about you. Material blessings are great. Being healthy, awesome. Family blessing, relational, fa- relational blessing, that's amazing. But here's what I want to say to you. It's overrated. All of that is, is totally overrated. God's peace, his mercy, knowing him, being found in him, living by the rhythm he created us in, that's blessing. That's true blessing. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 3. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Okay, we're going to try it again. You guys ready? It's totally okay. I, got, I, I really believed in you in that moment, and you let me down. Okay? You've totally let me down, but you can, be, you can be, come back. Okay, you can come back. Philippians 3 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus. Paul is going, I could have anything in the world, and it's nothing. Material blessings and relational blessings. I just want to know him. If I could just know him, then I'd be set. All of you could put me in jail. You could put me on the side of the street. I could never have a healthy relationship in my life, not a dime to my name. But if I could just know him, I'd be set, the Apostle Paul says. Knowing Christ, everything, all that I have, it's nothing compared to just knowing him. All right, another question. Who here would say uh, that the Bible is God's word? So this is one you want to raise your hand for in case God smites you with a, with a lightning bolt. And if somebody's sitting next to you doesn't raise their hand, just scoot over a seat. And just <laughs> trust that God. Okay, God, I got my hand raised. I don't know. Yeah, most people would say that, God, that, that God's word, that the Bible is God's word, right? How many of you would say it's not only God's word, but we should read it? Anybody? Yeah, we should read it. It's God's word to us. We should... We should probably read it. Yeah, most people would say that. It's not enough. It's not enough just to say that it's God's word or that it's worth reading. Not enough just to agree that it's not. You know, it's not even enough just to read it. That's not even really enough. Let, let me show you what I mean. I, I'll spend the rest of our time together this morning uh, diving into two words that show up in Psalm 1. Look at Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2 again. It says, Blessed is the man... Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, verse 2, but his what? Delight is in the law. I believed in you. You did it. I'm so proud of you. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The Hebrew word for law is, is the word Torah. Everybody say Torah. Torah is used when the writer's talking about the, usually used when the writer's talking about the laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. But it can mean, and does oftentimes mean, instruction. It just means instruction. And maybe uh, this is a better way to understand Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the instruction of the Lord. 
He delights in the instruction of the master. She delights in the conductor keeping her in rhythm with the song of creation. It's talking about, it's talking about the word of God, the instruction of the Lord. Blessed is the person who delights in God's word. Now, let me just be honest with you. I struggle with words like delight. Like it's not a word I use a lot. I'm just going to be honest. It doesn't sound, it's because I'm a man, all right? I know it's my own failing, but I'm like, man, I don't use like, what do you want to do? What do you like to do, Pastor Jake? I like to delight. I delight in basketball. Right? I just delight in it. I just delight in the, in the basketball. I don't know what accent I'm trying to nail there. Lucky, lucky charms, maybe? I'm not sure. I delight in basketball. That was better. I delight in killing deer. Love it. Love the slaughter of the deer. Delight in it. Just delight in it. I don't, I don't use that word, right? I don't use that word a lot, but it actually has a pretty intense, heavy meaning here. Um, it's a strong word. Delight, it refers to something that brings the highest satisfaction and pleasure. It's something that gives great joy. So delight is talking about something that we pursue with great energy and passion because of the great reward it brings. We delight in it because we pursue it with this great passion and energy because we know that we're going to get this reward out of it. We delight in this. What I'm telling you this morning is that If you're going to line yourself up with the rhythm God has created your life and my life to work best in, you have to establish a devotional rhythm, a daily devotional rhythm where you devote time to reading God's word and talking to him about it. That's it. Reading God's word and talking to him about it. If you want to know him, if you want to have your heart stirred up for him and experience his grace and his peace, if you want to experience the abundant life that Jesus was talking about in John 10, 10, you're going to have to delight in his word. Devotional rhythm. So what's yours right now? Every day in God's word? Once a week? Once a month? Never? Like, You brush your teeth every day, don't you? Twice a day, probably. Some of you didn't shake your head or nod your head. I'm not a dentist, but I can recommend brushing your teeth every day, twice. Um, You brush your teeth. Like, like how how are you pulling that off? That's pretty awesome. That for years and years and years, you have, without fail, brushed your teeth twice a day. Isn't that amazing? Like, turn to the person next to you and say, you did it, man. Good job. Like, you can totally brush your teeth. And it, you can tell real quick if they're the people who brush their teeth or not. You turn to them, you're like, oh, you didn't do it. You did it. You did it. You need to do that twice a day, all right? Twice a day. I could recommend that. I can recommend that. How do you do that? How do you brush your teeth without fail twice a day for your, like, your entire life? How do you pull that off? Well, it's a habit, isn't it? It's a routine. You just do it. It's it's a rhythm. Rhythm in your life. You just do it. You don't even think about it. You just get up and you brush your teeth. And before you go to bed, you brush your teeth. It's part of your routine, part of your rhythm. You just do it. Think about that a second. Most of us have been more intentional about our dental rhythm than we've been about our devotional rhythm. We've put more thought and intentionality into brushing our teeth than studying God's word to us. Something's off, isn't it? Can't you feel it? Something's off. Rhythm. If you're quiet enough, I think you can hear it. If you're still enough and honest enough, you don't rush off to something else to, because you're feeling uncomfortable. I, if you don't do that, I think you can feel it. might sting a little, but you can feel it. One last thought about delighting in God's word. Your, 
you're going to have to ask God for help in this. Like, you can't make yourself delight in God's word just by sitting down and going like, I delight in it! Or you still delight in it, right? You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that on your own. You can't make yourself manufacture kind of a love for God and his word, a desire to learn how to line yourself up with God's rhythm. You can't do that on your own. So you have to ask the Lord for help. And then also I want to say that don't wait until you feel it to establish a devotional rhythm. People who have a daily devotional rhythm, it's not like they always feel it. They're not waking up every day with this like unbelievable hunger for God's word where they're just running like, where's my Bible? I'm not even going to go to the bathroom. I'm so hungry for God's word. I'm not even going to feed the kids. They can find the Cheerios themselves. I just want God's word. Where is it? Oh, they go find God's word and they study it for six hours straight. Their kids die. That's not what happens. I didn't say kids die in first service. That was, I didn't say that. That's not what happens. Like you, they don't always feel it. But that's the thing about rhythm. It's something you set up. You get going. You get this pattern going. And then you just follow it, right? Like brushing your teeth. You just get up and you just do it. You just do it. And, and you trust the conductor that he knows how this song will sound best. You just do it. All right, that's delighting. Let me talk to you real quick about another word that shows up in Psalm 1-2. Let's read our passage again. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he what? Meditates day and night. Psalm 1-2 says that the blessing goes to the one who delights in God's word and meditates on it day and, light, day and night. And so meditating or delighting in God's word includes this idea of meditating on God's word. Now, we kind of have this skewed idea of meditation in our area of the world, right? Like, what do you think of when you think of meditation? Nailed it. So a lot of you are like, this is what you think of. Like, crossed legs, sitting down, hands like this, hum, hum, right? That's meditation. Usually a guy in a robe who's bald. Why are you laughing? Well, was, I wasn't trying to be funny, all right? It's kind of, I'm kidding, about kidding. Um, yeah, you, you think of that, but that's not really what the writer in Psalm 1 had in mind, I don't think. That's not what he had in mind. Meditation is more than that. So I just want to say meditation means contemplation. Meditation means contemplation, which just means long and thoughtful observation, thoughtful study. So this idea of devotional rhythm, it's more than just reading. It's letting something shape you and affect you. When we contemplate something, we kind of reflect deeply on like, how does this affect my life, right? That's the difference here. And in our culture, we don't have this down at all. We want everything to be quick, right? We want everything summarized and put into these nice little bite-sized packages and, and we, that we can digest quickly and get on with other things. We're used to, to headlines scrolling across the screen. We're used to 140 character bits of information or 280 now if you're a Twitter user. Or these short articles that are on Facebook that we read in a second, like five things to be a better parent and two things to be in heaven with Jesus one day, and six things to whatever, and we just read through those things. We don't even, even in the short article, we don't read the article, we just read the headlines, right? All six things. I got that. I'm in. We want it now. We want it fast. And because of this, I need to make sure we understand something very important. Devotional rhythm, contemplation, meditation, delighting in God's word, it requires one important thing that cannot be compromised. Time. It requires time. Christians in America, we don't get this. When you go to a Christian bookstore looking for devotional books, you're going to find titles like Quick and Easy Devotions, 10-Minute Devotions, 10-Minute Meditations, Quick Devotions for Teens, Short Devotions for... There's even one called Minute Meditations, One Minute. 60-second meditations, one-minute meditations. Now, I'm not saying that these devotionals aren't useful in some way, like a bonfire. I'm not saying that. 
or that you shouldn't have a devotional. Like, keep them, okay? Read them. If they help you, praise God. Use it. I just think something's a little off here, isn't it? If we really want to be grounded in God's word, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. Devotional rhythm takes time. Minute meditation is an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're an oxymoron. <laughs> Just kidding, don't say, that. don't say that. When Psalm 1 tells us to meditate on the word day and night, it's saying this is going to take some time. You can't just read it and forget about it. You can't move on and not think about it again. You can't do that. You'll need to carve out some time in your day to meditate on it, contemplate about it, think about what God is saying. I know what you're saying right now. You're thinking, I'm way too busy for that, Pastor. Way too busy to give hours, spend hours a day reading the Bible. I'm not telling you that you have to spend hours a day in the Word. But man, if you did, think about how blessed you would be. Isn't that what Psalm 1 said? Think about how blessed you would be if you did spend hours. But let's just be honest enough with each other today to say not having enough time, busyness, it's not a good enough excuse. We have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Same as they had in the Bible. Same time. Same as our parents had. Same. The truth is that we find time for the things we value most. I find time for the things I value most. The entertainment industry is making plenty of money, isn't it? We all have time for movies and sports and TV. We go home at night, we get the kids in bed, we watch a couple shows. We have time, we just choose to spend our time in other places besides God's word. That might sting a little, but man, isn't it true? For me too. Like, isn't it just true? This whole idea, though, of lining ourselves up with the rhythm God created us to work in, that's bigger than all of that. It's bigger than, than shows or TV or whatever. It's bigger than this. We can't, we can't have this whole like bare minimum approach, but that's our default, isn't it? Like what's the bare minimum I can get by with? Employees just want a paycheck. If they can show up late and do, just be lazy and still get paid, they will do it. Most people will do it. This is why we have so many failed marriages. We try to get away with the bare minimum. We do the same with God. We ask, what's the bare minimum, God? Hey, thanks for sending your son to die for me, Jesus. I had some juice and crackers today. What's the bare minimum for me to get to heaven? Is it five minutes in the Bible every day? Check, I can do that. Is it seven and a half? What is it, Jesus, that will get me to heaven? What's the bare minimum? Think about if you did that with your wife. Like you walked in from work and you're just like, how much time do I have to spend with you today? What's the bare minimum? Is it three minutes? Do I have to listen to you for three minutes and I'm good? What's the bare minimum? Some of you looked at your husbands like they do that. Just slap them right now. Just slap them. Like, no, we, it, that's a good way to have a failed marriage, right? Like we don't, if we love somebody, so what I'm saying is that I can't put a time on it. It's a relationship. You get back what you put in. You just get back what you put in. I know that, I just know that it's a, it's a good thing that God didn't go with the bare minimum to save us. Instead, he went all the way to the cross. So meditation, delighting in God's word, it takes time. It takes time. Even now you're thinking, don't have a lot of time left today, Pastor. But meditation, the stuff, lining up with God's rhythm, it takes time. Listen, Jesus said, I have come so that you would have life and life abundantly, life to the full. So my question in closing is, are you experiencing that? Or are you out of step with that life? 
out of rhythm. Maybe it's because you haven't allowed God, like that master in the dojo, to walk next to you and show you step by step by step. No, not like that. It's like this. Just trust me. Maybe you aren't letting the one who wrote the song to begin with teach you the rhythm. And maybe, just maybe, this is a good place to start with a devotional rhythm, a pattern that you set up that gets you into the word of God, reading it, meditating on it, praying it, delighting in it on a daily basis. Just maybe. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that cuts to the quick and challenges us. I thank you for conviction. I pray right now that the conviction of your Holy Spirit would remain, but shame and guilt would go away. And I pray that we would welcome your conviction because it always ends in your grace and in us lining ourselves up back up with your rhythm and sanctification. And so I pray that that conviction would be felt and sat in and thought about, but that it would lead to to this feeling of your peace and your grace and It would lead to action, us taking a step, trying to be conformed into your image. I pray, God, that you would help us to go home and just get serious about establishing a devotional rhythm. I pray, as always, God, that you would, that your word, whatever is of you today, from you today, would haunt us, stick with us. Let it not be easily forgotten this week when we're brushing our teeth. Let us think about your word in this devotional rhythm. But whatever's of me, whatever's not of you today, Lord, let it fall to the wayside and be easily forgotten as we get up and leave today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna have one last song, sing it together. And we've got um, prayer team on the sides that we'd love to pray for you. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, just like Pastor Nate was talking about, it's just praying to him and asking him to transform your life. Don't leave here until your heart, the core of who you are, your soul, has been shocked back into the rhythm God created you to function in. But here's my prayer for you today. May you feel where in your life you are out of step with the rhythm God created you to live in. May you not run to culture or friends or popular belief to fix it, but instead run to the master, Jesus. And may you establish, starting today, a devotional rhythm. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Go to a life group this week. We put some practical things to talk about. How do we do this? How does this work out in our lives? How do we apply it? We put that in your discussion sheets for life groups. We've also got life group leaders out front ready to sign you up for a life group if you haven't already joined one. So make sure you do that this week and we'll see you next week. God bless.